Hey, it's Lauren. Thank you so much for listening to The Afterlife. Enjoy the episode. This episode has been brought to you by me and my business, Lauren Grace Inspirations. Hi, Lauren Grace here, and welcome to the show. And I'm joined today by Sarah Robertson. Sarah is a yoga teacher and author based in Bath, UK. Her background is in science. She holds a master's in psychology and neuroscience and has studied at Bath, Exeter, and Harvard University. She loves exploring the power of myth, magic, and story in both her writing and yoga teaching, and is passionate about helping everyone connect to their own special magic and inner power. And today, Sarah is joining me to talk about the subject of being a kitchen witch. We're going to be talking about her new book in particular, and I am over the moon excited about all of the subjects that we're going to cover. I was telling Sarah before I hit record that I had a really difficult time niching down because when we go and we talk about you know, the cycles, we talk about the elements, we talk about ritual, we even use using sacred tools, even just what the broom means nowadays, talking about creating your own altar, and so much more. So let's see what we cover off in today's episode. I can guarantee you one thing, though, it's going to be magical. Sarah, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much for inviting me, Lauren. It is it is an honor. So I've got your beautiful book here. And for our friends on YouTube, they'll be able to see it here. It is called The Kitchen Witch Companion, Twinsies, The Kitchen Witch Companion, (laughs) Recipes, Rituals, and Reflections. And it's written by yourself, as well as Lucy Pierce, who I believe was the editor of your last book or two. And uh, there's a whole bunch of other fabulous contributors within the book, which I just absolutely love. But before we get to that, Before we get into the subject of kitchen witchery, I would love to know, Sarah, a little bit in your own words, how did your spiritual journey begin? Have you always been open to the idea of making a magical life? Oh, good question. Thank you. Um, I was brought up in the West Country of of England, which is quite a a folk magic uh, place anyway. Um, So we, we love our folk magic here. Um, and as a child, I attended uh, a pagan kids club. Uh, so it's sort of the, the pagan version of Cubs and Scouts uh, called the Woodcraft Folk, wow. um, which is which is very much about uh, connecting to the land and respecting nature and and then all the usual things you do in kids club, which is like running around, running, jumping, climbing trees, those, those sort of things. Um, so it's always been part of my life. I was having a conversation with a friend of mine the other day about this, actually. It kind of took a very long time for us to kind of find faith in our own voice about talking about these things we may have embraced it ourselves within our own lives like this kind of this lovely seam of of kind of folk magic kind of running through my upbringing and my interests and my passions and then five or so years ago when I when I wrote my first book it was uh, oh I, I can I have I have things to say and I am allowed to say them <laughs> I think I don't know if that's every, every person needs to come across that threshold in their life where it's we're allowed to speak out loud we're allowed to share our feelings about about magic in particular I think and and ideas of inspiration and intuition it's so personal to try and find our path to to sharing it uh, be that via book or podcast being able to just kind of say it out loud is is a, is a really nice place to arrive at that is an incredibly short jump from uh, being seven and being in a pagan kids club to being you know 40 and being an author but uh you know it was very winding <laughs> but I got there yes. I love how you're talking about the idea that in a way you're sort of at a position now in your life where you're able to be brave with the idea of exploring the concept of magic and I think that you know a lot of us on the spiritual path women especially uh, that, you know, we do feel on some level that we were connected, of course, to all the witches who, uh, you know, had really difficult fates, many of them. And that, you know, I think that for a lot of us showing up in present life and speaking of these subjects is sometimes still uncomfortable. And I think it's a really interesting exploration in a way as to whether or not we're actually carrying that grief with us through our past lives. And also just maybe the the culmination of of all of the women around us, you know, sort of feeling that or whether or not there's something else 
there. So it's an interesting time to be alive. That's for sure. It really is. And I think a, a lot of, a lot of people are coming forward and they're, you know, we're kind of like, we, we want to talk about this and we don't have all the answers and we're not really sure, yeah. but we just, we just want to say it out loud, you know, to say, you know, this is how I feel or this is my experience or this is how I'm connecting with these yeah. ideas right now. And, and just feeling able and free to, to talk about these things is, you know, that's a, a magic in its own that we are to some extent here in the West free to do that. That is pretty exciting. Yes, I agree. So today we're going to be talking about the kitchen witch. And it I love, uh, for me, I've always been obsessed with food, eating it, with looking at it, with hearing about how it's cooked. Um, it's so funny. It wasn't until a few years ago that I realized that food fiction was like a type of book where you could actually read fictional stories that were really wrapped up in, in recipes. And um, a lot of them also has magical intents littered throughout them. I'd love to know a little bit about your sort of journey into the fray of the concept of kitchen witchery. And I'd love to know, I guess, maybe as a start, whether or not you identify as a kitchen witch. Do you feel comfortable with that term? How did the book title become The Kitchen Witch Companion, Recipes, Rituals, and Reflections? Ooh, good question. Food fiction is, you know, a delight. I think the first time any of us read or watched Chocolat, we were like, oh, heavens, yeah. this is, you know, it's it's yes. the, the, all yes. the senses. It's all our favorite things, a captivating story yes. and chocolate and a little bit of magic. is yes. an interesting, you know, when you, you think Chocolat, uh, Water for Chocolate, uh, practical magic there's all food food and magic are woven mm. together and love them it's all kind of woven in which is is beautiful yeah for myself the very first book I wrote yoga for witches was sort of it was kind of an exploration of my own path I suppose I was trying to kind of explore the path I'd walked which was sort of a, a western white woman brought up in a sort of pagan background at the same time that I started kids club about age seven I also started yoga classes so I, I've been doing yoga most most of my life and I think yoga for witches was trying to sort of explore my, my quite niche path of blending these magical what you might call magical practices or practices of intuition and connection from both the east and west in the east you have ayurveda and kind of healing medicine with with food and uh, here we have kitchen witchery and herbalism and i kind of just touched on it a little bit i think within the first book we kind of came back around to it and lucy my editor and uh, the the grand creatrix of Womancraft Publishing. She's really good at kind of spotting potential of stories. So she was, she said, you know, this kitchen witch idea. I think we can, I think we can go deeper into that. People really, I think, like the term kitchen witch. I think it is a almost overwhelmingly positive uh, name for a witch. And you know, not all terms for witches were considered positive in in times gone by. But kitchen witch is is, is a pretty positive one, which is exciting and. It was really nice to kind of start the journey of exploring what a kitchen witch was, what a kitchen witch is. And I mean, it took me down one delight of a rabbit hole, that's for sure, journeying with our foundations of, of food magic and seeing food as sacred, which is something we have done literally since the beginning of civilization. So yes. you, you mentioned earlier about kind of, it's a hard time kind of picking apart specific questions in such a, a big a big area in a big book. It was exactly the same writing them. There's just so much because obviously we all connect to food. We all in our time have seen food as, as special and sacred. So journeying through that lovely journey from ancient goddesses connected with food, ritual and sacred practice connecting with food, folk magic and superstition connected with specific foods and herbs and spices journeying through was I mean it was absolutely magical it was definitely overwhelming at times just because there was so much and I had to kind of be quite selective about what I drew into the book it was a great journey and a, sum a sumptuous one whenever you're talking about food it's that kind of multi-sensory experience basically kitchen witch food folklore and fairy tale is all the stories it's all the history it's all the lore and then kitchen witch companion is this is all the recipes. So Kitchen Witch doesn't have any recipes in Kitchen Witch Companion is the recipes and it is beautiful stories from our larger community of people as well. So we, we 
we gathered, we gathered the witches round and we were like, tell us, tell us a story that, you know, whether it's foraging for blackberries or making simmer pots or tapping trees or foraging for mushrooms. And it's, it's, it's beautiful because you, you can go up to almost anyone and they will have, they will kind of light up and have a story about the cookies that their grandmother used to make mm. or uh, offerings they used to leave out for the fairies and everyone has a story in it and they are kind of imbued with magic which is beautiful and I've gone off topic slightly but I think to, to bring it back round, it was beautiful to gather all these people together some of them identified as kitchen witches some as witches some as not I'm still somewhere in the middle I think I I enjoy this kind of realm of magical possibility where I can I can again being able to just say I don't know. I'm not sure. And, and that's OK. And my my life no longer hangs in the balance of uh, proving anything to anyone, whether that be witch or not or magical practice or not. And it's uh, it's nice just to, to explore and, and, and feel free to uh, journey with that magic. Yeah, I think sometimes, too, we can get wrapped up in titles uh, that can some sometimes, at least in my opinion, can limit us in a way. You know, whereas if we're okay to become who we are at the moment, identifying with a certain title and giving ourselves permission to change our mind tomorrow or, you know, giving ourselves that freedom to kind of allow that to evolve. I think that there's a lot of validity in that as well. And I don't know about you, but I'm sure you would agree that as we learn, we grow and we evolve. And sometimes the things that we believe to be true, even a couple of weeks ago, sometimes are are brought into question when new information is discovered and that truth alights within us. Yeah, absolutely. And I think uh, we are we are ever-changing and at yeah. some times in our lives, it feels right to claim certain, certain words or certain titles and some maybe not. And embracing that kind of, you know, when, when it feels right, we can step forward into certain names or certain powers and where we want to kind of just kind of stand back and just let things be and learn and explore we can do that too yes I thought the book was so beautifully written and one of the things that I really want to talk to you about was the idea of magic and I do want to ask you in a moment why you chose to write magic with the C versus the CK because um, many people look at magic with the C as being almost the magician kind of magic whereas the CK really brings in the alchemy and manipulation of energy so I'd love to know your thought on that but just before we get into the subject of magic I really did want to read a section of your book because I just thought it was so beautiful and I thought that um, our listener at home would really appreciate it. So I'll just read this little section here and it's in a section at the beginning of the book actually called Hungry for Magic and it says, once we wove magic, we held it in our hands, we created it from scraps, we saw it in signs importance, we baked it into pies and held it in offerings for deities and our dear departed. We crafted charms for our hearths and the creation of food was held in reverence and honored in rituals. For we were magical women and all the magic to see, feel, create was already within us. Then slowly, insidiously, these ways were cast out, overlooked, punished by a patriarchal society that could not believe that women should own such power know such things, be connected in such unknowable ways. So magic for many was distrusted, demonized, and cast away. Those who worked with magic were forced to step away from it. And so we are here in the present day where talking of magic is not so easy. And then I'm just going to read a little section a little bit lower down, which says, we were born with hearts and minds open to the possibility of magic and wonder. And then at a certain age, we are shamed for believing in magic. We grow into a place of paradox, the paradox that women must make magical experiences, but women who claim that power of making magic are silly, strange, and even dangerous. <laughs> it's beautiful to hear you read it. I've got goosebumps. Um, but isn't it the way, isn't it just, um... Yeah. The, the joy and magic as children when it was perfectly fine to see fairies at the bottom of our garden and make potions out of mud pies and things and and now as adult women we or any adult of any kind um the idea of believing in magic is somehow 
bad almost in in some realms of society like I think Lucy Lucy really encapsulated it in part of, of part of that introduction I think about we're not really supposed to believe in magic but we still have to create it in a very consumerist sense so every Christmas we have to create a magical display and a beautiful mm. feast and elf on the shelf and we have to do all that but we're not allowed to believe in our own magic or how we see it ourselves we can only do it within the realms of sort of socially acceptable magic so the tooth fairy the the easter bunny and yes again it's that kind of you're you're allowed to do these things women but only within this kind of boundary of what we consider to be safe you're not allowed to go running into the woods or anything or get your get your skirts dirty or any any of that nonsense so it's um yes it can be challenging and and frustrating and and many words <laughs> connecting to what we hunger for I think was a a huge kind of theme mm. a seed theme of the whole book is we hunger for a lot of things and perhaps in kind of connecting to a sense of magic and possibility we can can find the things we really hunger for because none of us really I think hunger for having 500 beautifully wrapped presents under a tree I think what we really hunger for is connection and magic and maybe some things that delight us but we're told that what we should hunger for is a, a beautifully laid table and uh, a beautifully decorated home and maybe maybe that's not it or maybe it's part of it because we're all different and we're all finding our things. I think a big yeah. part of it as well is is maybe that hunger for that purpose and for that belonging and for that safety and that feeling that we can be where we are and I think we can find that a lot within our kitchen within our homes you know, when we create that intention of creating those safe spaces. I want to talk to you in a little while about the idea of reclaiming, because that was a real mm -hmm. theme within the book about reclaiming. Mm -hmm. And I also want to talk to you about everyday magic, the idea that, you know, sometimes we don't want to, you know, feel magic or we're not maybe tapped into it necessarily. Can we go mm -hmm. back to my earlier question, though, Sarah, mm -hmm. about the concept of magic with the C versus the CK? Do you think that even matters? Was there was that a a conscious decision uh, for kind of maybe the masses to make it more palatable or easier for them to understand versus getting caught up in the idea that there may be a CK and not understanding that? If I'm being totally honest, I'm not even sure me and Lucy had a conversation about it. I think we just went with C. It's just personal choice, I think. Uh, I think some people really enjoy separating their specific magic as a, a CK and that's that's awesome. Uh, mm -hmm. using this kind of wider term of magic obviously encapsulates a lot of things all sort of I suppose within the realm of sort of possibility and the way things can be changed I know uh, you had Michelle on a couple of weeks ago and she spoke about how magic with the CK is about kind of energy shifting and changing and, and that definitely is is part of what we see magic as but I think it's it's so personal how we see magic and it's mm. it's okay to it's okay to spell it however you like I don't think there's a, a right and a wrong way um, yeah but that's also that's just very much minor Lucy's style we're very much kind of like guys whatever it's your magic you do what you like guys we've had enough of you know specific rules and things we're just we're yeah. happy for everyone just to be happy because you know <laughs> I also agree that it doesn't have to be one or the other. I just thought it was interesting um, in terms of asking the question in relation to that, whether it was something that you guys had thought about. So before we venture further into the world of kitchen witchery, do you think we need to establish what a kitchen witch is? It can encapsulate a lot of things. Magical souls in kitchens, as in places of brewing and baking and stirring, they have existed since kitchens existed and you'll find kind of ancient tales and charms of magical beings brewing beer or offering things to deities so the idea of magical souls in kitchens has, has long been part of our our history and our folklore and then kind of when you move into the middle ages we have cunning people and workers of folk magic who would hang up charms and create blessings for kitchen spaces. But then at that same time, this is when we start turning into that realm of the witch hunts where workers of magic were seen as kind of suspicious and so much of just the day-to-day -day work of women in kitchens was cast into this strange, malefic light. So the tools of the kitchen, cauldrons, spoons, broomsticks, uh, a 
cat to, you know, hunt out any mice. They all became part of the witch law. So it's kind of fascinating to see it kind of change. And mm -hmm. But then we, you know, moving through into more modern era, we have a, a twist again where in the 19th century, in kind of 60s and 70s, the kitchen witch became a very popular charm here around kind of England and uh, Europe, which literally a kind of stereotypical witch was kind of hung up as, as good luck for the cook in the kitchen. So there's just so many stories. And again, just there were so many to kind of choose from and journey with. The kitchen witch is not just one thing, but the idea of magic in food kind of mm. runs through it all. And today a, a person might, might uh, claim the title of kitchen witch or witch, food lover or chef or brewer or herbalist. And they all are part of that beautiful history, that rich history. So the kitchen witch as always is many things, but it's a, it's a beautiful a beautiful umbrella under which much magic lies. Yeah, I love that. And I think that, you know, when you're talking about it in that way, a lot of people can find themselves within that because one thing that we all have in common is our need to eat. And many of us exactly. love food and understand that, you know, when you eat something, I was just talking about this with someone the other day. It's as though when you eat something, you can tell whether or not it was infused with love, like it was created with the intention of wanting to provide maybe comfort or um, maybe something like nourishment or, you know, maybe something for your immunity, for example. I, I'm mm. not saying that all like chefs that are cooking up some spicy ginger meal are thinking, oh, this is going to help your immunity. But I feel that there's a lot of intention that you can feel within food. And very often in my experience as well, I can tell when it's not there. I can tell when it's it's almost lifeless in a way. What's your experience with mm -hmm. that? I, I think you're I think you're spot on. I think um, it it can manifest in very different ways. So uh, you know, specific intentions, for example, for a a healing soup, for example, and you're going to put all the all the things you really want in there to kind of help and heal, and the people that you love as well. And, and you're going to notice, I think, if uh, <laughs> your healing soup versus maybe a can of something that you, you've bought in the supermarket yes. probably doesn't, obviously, at the very base level, doesn't taste the same. But it can be different. Like if you've had a really long day and you're, you're knackered and you just want something to eat and you just want to sit with your loved ones, maybe that day a takeaway pizza is just the thing and the magic is the people that you bring around the table instead. And that's, mm -hmm. you know, that's spot on and that's beautiful. Sometimes you spend an afternoon with your your mother and your grandmother and you make a big soup and everyone comes around and that feels absolutely magical because it's a it's a family recipe and you've put herbs from the garden in it. So food, I think, definitely can be imbued with magic, but as always, it's uh, it's the magic we bring. So it can be different. It can be a takeaway. It can be a microwave meal. It can be a beautiful, sumptuous feast. We spent a long time on but yes I mean, sometimes sometimes you can be a place and be like yeah no love has gone into this I can tell and, yeah. and, and that's okay too sometimes that's okay if you get your takeaway sandwich and yeah. that's just what you need that maybe that's enough magic and that's okay yes I do believe that the love we put into into meals can definitely enrich them so yes and be I guess be noticed as well in a way so in your book, you guys talk about the kitchen witch working on many levels. So you talk about the concept of, you know, the preparation of the food. You talk about working with unseen energies, using ingredients for symbolic purposes, using food as a method of healing, using food in ritual and in spell working, even having food at the center of ceremony and celebration as you were talking about with the pizza in a way and also using food to I love enchant and bewitch and delight as well as a medium of transformation and I think when you listed those things out there's kind of this wow where you go wow food is so much more than just something that's you know filling me up in a way it's, it's multifaceted, it's multi-purpose. And I guess it's all about the person who's um, wielding the ingredients and what they're intending to do with it. Yeah, the person who's wielding and also the person receiving as well. I think um, mm -hmm. in the last kind of 
maybe 50 years or so, maybe a little bit longer, but we have a, an abundance here in the West. We're very lucky we have a, an abundance of food, more so than we've ever had before. And I think sometimes it's easy to forget that food is special and sacred and, and, and being grateful for our food and having enough food uh, and being nourished is, that's a powerful magic as well. So to, to be yeah. grateful for the food that you have, I think is 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 really useful to, re to remind us, you know, it connects us all and it is, you know, heartbreaking that some people don't have enough food and, and nourishment and um, in being grateful for our own food, that can help us think, okay, well, how can I spread this magic? How can I help others, especially as we come up to kind of sacred days and holidays, you know, this, this magic of connection is how, how can we share this magic and share this sacredness to, to help others? is another beautiful way of sharing the inherent magic of food and, and allowing us all to to be grateful for that I think is, is powerful stuff. Sounds to me when you're talking that it's a lot about your intentions so no matter how you label yourself no matter the role that you play if you're intending when you're in the kitchen and you're working with these ingredients to nourish your family or to boost your immunity or to create some kind of maybe um, an intention of bringing something new about or, or letting something go. It sounds mm. to me that a big part about the kitchen witchery concept is a lot about the intention. And I don't know about you, but I feel like sometimes I forget that. I forget to be more intentional. I forget mm. that when I'm making my coffee this morning, you know, this book, I've been reading it. So it's like fresh in my mind. I'm like, okay. I, and I've got like this little kitchen, witch kind of um, cheat sheet in my, in my kitchen as well. So when I'm, when I'm in there and I'm stirring the cinnamon into my coffee, you know, with that intention. So how important is intention do you find in making magic and especially making magic in the kitchen? Oh, that's adorable, by the way. I love that little heart here. I love that you have a little cheat sheet for the stirring. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I mean, intention is everything as far as we're concerned. I think we do not want anyone to think that you have to buy a certain thing or you have to have a garden where you can grow herbs or there is nothing that you need, nothing that you need to buy or to own in order to bring magic or receive magic or share magic. It is all about intention and connection. So whether you are, again, whether you're making a giant feast or you're just reheating a meal, your intention is, is gonna make that magical. There is no barrier that you need for your mm -hmm. own intention. And, and it, you know, on busy days, maybe we set no intentions for the food and it's just like, I just don't have the energy today and that is fine. Mm -hmm. You know, we're not gonna be casting great rituals and spells over our food every day, every early morning that we have to catch the bus, but it is, it is there for us as and when we may want it or when we might specifically need it for us a certain certain situation. So we very much wanted to create a book where the practice is open, open to everybody. Again, because food is something that connects us all. So we really wanted to make this an open practice and something that you can kind of connect to as much or as little as you want to. Mm -hmm. Again, we're not really there with kind of rules and guidelines as such but just possibilities the possibility of magic and you can pick up the things you want to pick up and you can leave the things that you want to leave and that can be magical as well again to to seek our own path and to to use the things that work for us and to leave the things that don't mm -hmm. I do feel that that message was really translated throughout the book about really finding your own way of doing things and I think that sometimes what blocks me <laughs> Uh, I maybe our listener at home can relate to this is sometimes you do have that maybe that fear of oh well what if I do it wrong or what if I add a different intention to this particular mm -hmm. spice than what the general public thinks but I think going back to what we were talking about before it's a lot about you finding your own way within the comfort of your own truth I suppose and that all mm -hmm. has to do with intention one of the things that you know, we have to talk about, I think, is the fact that women, you know, for a long time, not really as much nowadays, were really sort of encouraged to stay in the kitchen and um, almost like a punishment, maybe in a way, 
And I guess my question to you is about the concept of reclaiming the position, you know, because a lot of, of women were sort of given the role of housewife and they were really not encouraged to do things outside of that. And it's almost like a, a reclaiming of that, that position, maybe in one that's meant to be honored. Can you talk to me a little bit about that concept? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, reclaiming it is definitely the word. Yeah. Because in, in the past, a lot of our kind of interactions with the kitchen were not of our own choosing. So again, back to the, the Middle Ages and the witch hunts, women who stirred cauldrons were, they were just getting on with things. They were just feeding their family, but they were kind of whispered about, like, oh, she's stirring that cauldron, that's a bit suspicious. <laughs> and then, you know, you kind of, then you come to the kind of the idea of the housewife and being chained to the kitchen sink and a, a woman's yeah. work being in the home. And these were all kind of, things pushed upon us and I think as part of our reclaiming now it is all about freedom and choice and intention again that that freedom to to be what we want in the kitchen whether we want to be a a forager and to have a beautiful garden whether we want to just have really quick easy microwave meals so that we can go and do the things that really light us up and that our hobbies and our passions or just spend more time with our families or mm. just to play around with sprinkling you know a little herb of intention or a simple ritual or a charm within the kitchen it's really this is our time for reclaiming this path is, is something that is entirely for us and entirely for our own connection and our own empowerment and finding our way. And, and that, that can feel overwhelming. It's a lot. It's kind of, there's no, to not have one specific answer is, is, uh, can be a challenge, but it, it is part of that journeying out of those things of the past where we were told, this is what you do. This is where you go. This is what you make. We don't want to do that anymore. We want to be free to make our own choices about, who we want to be, how we want to see words like magic and witch and kitchen witch and the power is ours now. And we are embracing that in our journey, which is, is exciting times. It's super exciting. One of the things too that comes to mind is the idea of self-care in a way. And I feel that, you know, if you, I don't have any children, but you know, I know that a lot of women who have families, especially that they are constantly in the kitchen and trying to take care of the household and possibly have careers as well and wanting to do their own thing and be their own person and be a wife or be a partner. And, mm. you know, it can be, it can be a lot. And, you know, when we're talking about intention and creating magic, and I use the idea of, you know, cinnamon in my coffee. And I love how you talked about crushing cardamom in your coffee. And I was like, I wrote that down. I'm like, okay, put cardamom on my shopping list. I was like, it's good enough for Sarah's ritual. And I've got to try this too. <laughs> you know, it's a big part about that self-care in a way, isn't it? It's like, it's a reclaiming, but it's also a opportunity for us to go you know what I'm going to find myself in this moment absolutely and I think uh near the beginning of when we were talking we were speaking about the idea of speaking up and it's we're allowed to say this is hard or I'm overwhelmed or I have too many jobs to do or I'm tired tonight can we just get a takeaway like we're allowed to say that and we're allowed to to say, look, I've got too many things on today, so I'm just gonna make my cardamom coffee and hope that all things flow. And then I'm going to get a pizza for tea. And that's yes. what I'm gonna do today. And that's, that's magic in itself. And again, part of that reclaiming to allow ourselves to say when things are hard or when we're having mm. trouble with things, allowing ourselves to, to be grateful and find magic in the, in the little things, even if all we do is, you know, make a cup of tea or, clean our kitchen or anything any of those little mundane things that can be magical that can be just something you're relieved to get out of the way it's all part of that path and yet what we absolutely did not want to do was add anything else to anyone's plate but what we do some of us need uh, or are working towards is finding magic in the things that we're doing and finding joy and mm -hmm. maybe casting aside of the few of the things that we don't need to be doing or we don't need to be thinking that we have to do it all thinking that we must do these things 
Yes, 100%. I love what you were talking about in uh, in the book as well. You shared that story about how you're making, I think it was like a fish, some sort of fish cakes or something like that. And you were crying over your fish cakes. And it was funny because I have, you know, a similar story where I was like, I'm going to make this grandiose meal. And then you ended up breaking down in the middle of the meal because you're just like, in my, in my experience, which is too hard. It was like too complicated. I took on too much. And and I just laughed when when I read that story because I was like, I'm sure many of us can relate about having those moments in the kitchen where like everything is hot and nothing is working the way that it was meant to. And <laughs> it seems to me that at those moments, maybe we aren't we aren't feeling the magic in the kitchen. But one of the things that I love that you shared in your book, and that if you would be willing to share some of the ideas on page 47, mm. uh, I loved the concepts of instant magic. And I just, you know, when I read all those, they I just wrote beside it, love, you know, I wrote this love, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. I, was just like, <laughs> I just loved all of these ideas. And it was just sort of a, a gentle reminder of, Hey, maybe you're not making magic at the moment where you're making the fish cake or for me when I was making my sweet and sour chicken, like maybe it's just not happening right now. But at the same time, there are other times that we can invite magic in in a casual way. Would you share some of those ideas, Sarah? Because I just thought they were so beautiful. Absolutely. So this is uh, instant magic. Magic making is often found or made in the details, in the little touches we can do to make any meal, whether by ourselves, for a family dinner or for a large gathering, feel that little bit more special. Most don't require planning, special skills or purchasing anything. These are the ideas. Turn off the main light. Light a candle. Turn on fairy lights. Whisper a few words of gratitude. Pick a small bunch of flowers and put them in a jam jar. Arrange your food on a beautiful serving plate, a tiered cake plate for sweets or afternoon tea, bolty dishes for curries, a hand-painted platter. Cut up a citrus fruit to eat or place a slice in a glass of water. The essential oils from the skin will brighten your day. Sift icing sugar onto a cake or cookie. Scatter edible petals upon a dish. Serve an abundance of small dishes to give the feeling of a feast. Have a bowl of fresh fruit to decorate the space and enjoy. Put herbs, edible flowers or glitter into ice cube trays, fill with water and freeze. Sprinkle edible glitter on your desserts or even serve with a sparkler. Open a bottle of fizz, water, soft drink or champagne. Bubbles are magical. Add a drizzle of olive oil to a savoury dish or a scattering of fresh chopped herbs. Polished special glasses or silverware tinkling in the light. When you read that, you can't help but just feel excited. Hey, it's just like, eee, there's so many different ways that we can invite this magic and this intention to help us, you know, get excited and feel that, that twinkling in our eye or like get that twinkling in our eye again. And that's part of the fun, because I think, again, we've been need to feel perhaps that, you know, in order to have a perfect Christmas, you absolutely have to make tea dishes and you have to have a giant turkey and you have to do these things. Otherwise, it's not a magical Christmas mm. feast and you've done it wrong. And it turns out you can light a candle and have lasagna and from the freezer. And that's that can be just as magical. So, yes. You know, we do get caught up and we do feel this pressure that we have to do this thing. And I think from both our stories, we had this idea that we just cook this thing and everything would be OK. And it is, you know, we've, we've kind of tied up so many things with doing it right and making that perfect dish. And it, it turns out it can be totally imperfect, but we can see the magic in it and see the gratitude in it anyway. And and that that is part of the magic that life is not perfect. It is a mess and scrappy and doesn't often turn out how we like and we can still find magic and be grateful for those things embrace the mess <laughs> yes and and on top of that as well one of the things that we can do is we can actually find those magical moments through using even sacred tools you know you you kind of talk there about you know like the I think it was like the glasses um sorry I missed the page I've gone on yes. to something else yeah and you know I love that idea. So do you have sacred tools that you use in your kitchen that are meant for certain things? 
again, it's very much magic in the mundane. So I have my special mugs, the ones that I can kind of hold like little bowls. And I, you know, I've got hazelnut coffee today because I wanted oh, a bit of knowledge and uh, <laughs> eloquence. I don't know how much that's worked. But, uh, so just simple things, special things, maybe you have something that was handed down to you by your grandmother, spoons or bowls, um, or just a bowl that is beautiful and feels special. And you can put any meal in that bowl and it feels like this is something beautiful and I've served it up in something really beautiful that means something to me. So using the things we have or seeing the value in the things that we have, I think is a lovely way to yeah, see the magic in the mundane. I think we're, we're big on that in Kitchen Witch land. Yes. I love that as well. And I, I also, you know, the book is really structured sort of near the end in the recipe ideas about a lot about cycles or working with the elements. So, and in your book, you say um, on page 58, our hunter gatherer ancestors were people in tune with the earth stars and seasons who would in time create settlements, cultivate crops and domesticate animals Knowledge of the weather and seasons was the foundation of our survival. Watching and celebrating the sun's set and rise, snows and frost melting, green shoots appearing, animals giving birth and giving milk, crops ripening. Traditions, rituals, and offerings grew up around these celestial, agricultural, and seasonal cycles. They became special and sacred occasions marked by the ritual preparation and consumption of food. To come together and feast as part of our very earliest communal acts from the dawn of human society. One of the things that I love about this idea and this concept was about really being in tune with your environment. So it's not only about being intentional. It's not only about understanding that food can be used for a variety of things in our life to help us create magic. It's not only about having those sacred tools and creating those moments where we can feel connected to ourselves and our inner power but it's also I think about and this isn't meant to add to people's plate like you were saying earlier understanding that there's also this greater connection to something else that's happening around us so I feel that I don't know if you've read Rebecca Campbell's book Rise Sister Rise it's absolutely have you read that book she oh she's a yeah I'm trying to think of the right word I don't want to call her a witch with words because she might not uh, uh, connect with the word witch but uh, she is a, a weaver of words my heavens she's good <laughs> so good and it was in that book where I went oh like I finally understood a little bit more about cycles and understanding that and this is something that I feel that is really reflected in your book can you talk a bit about cycles working with the elements yeah, any thoughts on that? Because that's a pretty big part about the way that you've also structured the recipes at the end is understanding the seasons, for example. It is, yeah. Um, I think it all works around just ideas of, of mindfulness, maybe you might call it, or just awareness. We we once lived in a much more connected with nature way. Yeah. The idea of kind of reading the cycles of the moon and the sun and the, the trees was, was just literally just part of day to day life. Very much. Again, we're going back to magic in the mundane. It was once simply part of survival, part of knowing when the crops were ready, uh, knowing when the things to forage were ready. And it was not I'm not saying it was an, an easier time by by any stretch of the imagination, but it was a, a more connected way of being. And. Mm the kind of the further we step away from the natural world with, you know, bigger cities and busier schedules and more time at desks and on computers and all these many, many elements of modern life, we can very easily become disconnected. And when we speak about what we hunger for, I think a lot of us hunger for in some way, a greater sense of connection, a greater sense of flow with the days, with the seasons. So we can be aware and, you know, it's we're kind of dipping into winter now and the, the days are much shorter and darker. I found myself feeling much more tired because those kind of the evenings are rolling in. So that gives me an opportunity to, for example, cook different kinds of meals or more nourishing meals or 
accept that I'm going to eat more over the darker <laughs> seasons and over Christmas and, and kind of find joy in that and, and know that it's it's kind of part of the cycle and that's okay or feel happy to say no to certain kind of social commitments and things because it's important to have evenings where I'm just doing nothing and I can just rest and be again finding our own cycle some of us uh, are particularly affected by the darker the darker seasons so being aware of that I think is all part of that reclaiming and, and finding the choice for our path to know what's going to work for us and what's not going to work seeing the magic and the change of the natural world is a really beautiful way to kind of remind ourselves of the the rhythms that we can connect to should should we wish I like that because I think sometimes what we do is we tend to look at the people around us and sometimes they're maybe on a different rhythm or in a different cycle and I think sometimes we compare ourselves to other people so we, we feel like we should be in the same sort of same journey or you know doing the same sort of stuff. oh wow that person's got a lot of energy and I don't you know so it's it's mm. such an interesting thing to be intentional and aware that there are other forces at play here and they're going to affect us all in a different way and, and I love how in the book it's talking about how the awareness of the natural world can allow us to sense when changes will occur from crops to weather to animal migration. And we can all reclaim the ability to connect, see, and read the rhythms of the natural world, each turn of the wheel. To do so helps us, helps to imbue us with a sense of belonging and experience often missing from our lives as modern humans when we live on rather than in the earth. And I think that's a big part about for me anyway, the journey of magic, the journey of kitchen witchery in a way is sort of that connection with the, with all that there is. And it's funny because food really is a big part of the center of that. You know, when you think about, okay, you might be eating a, a piece of bread, but you know, that was the seed originally that grew into weed. And then it was, you know, processed and then made into bread, for example, at this set, there's this bigger thing that's sort of at play. And I think that going back to what we were talking about almost at the very beginning of the show, which is in a way, I guess, in my opinion, that it connects us to our purpose, to the oneness of all that there is. And we can kind of find our place within that. Oh, very much so. Yeah. Even within something very simple, like a piece of bread, yeah. you know, the, the sun, the sun has shone on that grain, the water has, has fed it. And, you know, it's very easy to walk into a supermarket and pick something up and, and not really think about everything that's gone into the creation of this thing that is going to nourish you. But it's yeah. totally magical when you sort of think about that process. And that can be really useful for a practice of gratitude. It's also nice in a kind of, you know, the world is noisy. And come Christmas time, it's like, oh, you need to be getting all your presents, you need to be slimming into that sequin dress so you can impress at the party. And it's a lot of noise. And sometimes it's just nice to maybe go and sit in the garden and watch the trees and see how the, the leaves are falling or mm. to kind of connect to this bigger cycle, bigger ideas perhaps to, to remind us we don't need to get stressed about buying the perfect outfit for the Christmas party. I mean, we can, we can take joy in that for sure, but uh, it's useful to expand our awareness perhaps to what we might see as a bigger picture or a, a gentler cycle. Yeah, because I think it kind of allows us in a way to, to be bigger than maybe the role that we're playing or the the way that we look or kind of connects us to something that's maybe we can't even put it into words properly and it's interesting when you think about all of these people in their kitchens with their food preparing their feast for their their loved ones and their family or stirring their cardamom or cinnamon into their coffee or making a simmer pot and then drying the herbs or putting them in their bath or you know that we're all sort of in it together weaving our own little bit of magic you can almost kind of imagine like the globe and then all of these beautiful little threads that are sort of tying us all together into the oneness of all that there is and that and that's how you weave magic into the food you serve absolutely to feel all of that and to do that not because you have to be in the kitchen not because you have to make a perfect recipe but you can bring these threads together and that's that's magical I think your book is so absolutely magical and beautiful and so well written and the the contributors and the voices it's just so 
gorgeous. I'm so happy for you that you you guys created this just masterpiece of a book. And is there anything that you wanted to ask or talk about that I didn't ask you? We're, we're at the end of our time together. How can people get a copy of the book? And, you know, I've got love and wow. And like so many <laughs> different sections. It's like, well, that better, that gets a circle that gets an underline. That one gets a star. <laughs> All this sort of cheat sheets that I have within this book, but it's really like absolutely wonderful. So thank you for, for creating it and sharing it with the world. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your kind words. We're so thrilled that people are really enjoying it because uh, we put a lot of love into the book. Everyone did. And uh, and we had a lot of fun as well. We had a lot of fun making this book. So um, it's wonderful that that people are feeling that when they, they read it as well. The different drawings and the, yeah, it's so cool. It was beautiful. And yeah. Lucy, Lucy, who wrote wrote the book with me, she did all these amazing illustrations because, you know, just one skill is not enough. She's <laughs> like a, a superstar at both illustration and writing as well. But yeah, it's it's just full of love. It's full of beautiful pictures. It's full of collaboration and magic. And we had a fun and delightful time creating it. And yeah, you can buy it from any of the usual big online book retailers. You can get it direct from us at womancraftpublishing.com. Or you can you can ask your local indie store to order it in as well. So mm. if you'd rather support your your local little bookshop, then you can absolutely ask them to order it in. And I mean, it makes for a beautiful gift as well. If anyone is thinking Christmas presents, not that you have to. Nobody has to buy anything yeah. for Christmas, but uh, maybe maybe a treat for yourself for Christmas. Yeah, that would be it nice. actually would be like so good. I mean, and one of the things that I love about it are all the different recipes and the meditations that you have throughout it and there's like different ways of, you know, celebrating the seasons and decorating your altar. And there's just so many cool things that we didn't even get to talk to talk about in this conversation. You know, there's so much potential for people to create their own magic within. Yeah. Wherever you are in the kind of the year, yeah. in, you know, on your path, that there's a recipe for that in here. So, I mean, yeah. it's uh, there's something so cliche to say there's something for everyone. That's true. There's lots. <laughs> well, thank you so much for being here. I know that uh, people can find you as well on Instagram. I'll put a link to all your stuff in the show notes. And uh, Beautiful. I want to thank you very much for taking the time to be with me and our listener at home and uh, sharing the ideas on uh, Kitchen Witchery. So thank you. Hi, thanks so much for listening to the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please leave us a review where you listen to your podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you. New episodes every Thursday.